Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Resolute TV, this is episode one. Uh, we've got a really special guest here today. We've got former Sen uh, federal senator David Lionhelm, formerly of the Liberal Democratic Party, so I thought I'd wear my jersey. Um, I, I did vote for you in the elections, and I've been a bit of a supporter and a fan and a member of the LDP now for a few years. Uh, I've got David here. Thank you for coming on board first. That's great. Um, what have you been up to since you left Parliament? Let's, let's get started there. Well, I suppose I went back to what I'm good at, which is making money. Uh, and so I've gone back to my business, my company, and, uh, and it's, it's doing very well. It's quite successful. And I won't be, um, needing any subsidies from the government. It's, it's doing quite well. But, uh, um, I've also been doing a quite a bit of writing. So I write for the Financial Review still, I write for Penthouse still, and, uh, other odds and sides at times. And uh, the main thing that I've been writing is my book. Um, the book is on gun control and, in fact, the working title. And I've got it up on screen on my other computer here, so I will um, uh, I will refer to that from time to time just to refresh my memory. Um, it's called uh, Gun Control, Why, What Australia Did, What Other Countries Do, and or How Other Countries Do It, and in, is any of it sensible? So um, it's aimed. So I've been using my time to uh, to finish this book, and it's it's now finished. It's ready to go to the publisher. The publishers. Um, like so this everything. is a bit of an exclusive an exclusive announcement that you've got a book coming for the people, and I've got your first book, um, and I've read it. Great read. And now what you're telling us is there's another one coming for people to get excited about. Yeah. So this one is um, is. Uh, specifically uh, about the gun control issue. Um, it's, it's aimed at quite a wide audience. Um, so there's, there's people who know about guns who, who might be sporting shooters and, and, and have, but have never thought about the arguments as to why it's okay to have guns and to like guns and to shoot them and enjoy it. And then there are uh, people who uh, are not that interested in guns per se, but are generally sympathetic to the idea that the government shouldn't interfere with something that uh, you're doing when you're not hurting anybody else. And then there's all the other people who have been told over and over again, Australia's gun laws are a model for the rest of the world. America is stupid because they won't adopt Australia's gun laws. And the great lie, the massive lie that gets told all the time that when Australia adopted its gun laws in 1997 that stopped mass shootings. It's a huge lie and so the book is quite broad ranging really. It's it's aimed at all of the the those sorts of people from the relatively informed shooters through to the totally uninformed who've just heard on TV that Australia's gun laws are wonderful and America's a very violent place and and uh, aren't we clever for having uh, solved that problem? <laughs> so, um, and it, it, I mean, it goes through quite a lot. And if, if you bear with me for a minute, I'll actually give you a little bit of a thumbnail on on its, its contents. So I've, yeah, um, I have... Uh, I'm just getting it up on screen here so I don't miss anything. Um, so 
I've addressed the question, why do Australians own guns? I get this quite a lot myself. What do you want a gun for anyway is the common question. So why do Australians own guns? So I address sport, hunting, um, occupational uses, of course, collecting firearms, quite an important um, component of uh, gun ownership. And uh, and I discuss the self-defence and protection of property issue, although in Australia, that's, Australia is one of the few countries that doesn't allow guns unless it's money. <laughs> You're allowed to protect money with guns, but nothing else. Um, there's a chapter on the background to Australia's gun laws, so the the um, the history uh, leading up to the Port Arthur massacre. So there was a number of public shootings, um, and um, uh, our, you know, our history, how we got to that point. Um, there were, uh, were about um, five public shootings that were influential, starting with the Milpera massacre and then you know, through Strath the ones in Melbourne. One in Sydney, Strathfield, Queen's, uh, Queen Street, Hoddle Street, and then Port Arthur. And um, so the, I suppose the significant point of, about those is that the focus was all on uh, semi-automatics and banning semi-automatics and getting rid of these nasty, nasty rapid-firing guns. And yet the massacres that were influential in... Uh, Coming to that end point, mostly didn't involve semi-automatics at all. Port Arthur did, and there was another one or two that did, but uh, mostly they didn't. I then spent... So the correlation uh, is what there is what you're saying. Yeah, so, you know, it's demonising a particular type of gun when that gun wasn't even, even you know, the main factor in any of them. Um, the yeah, only common yeah. factor, the only co common factor in all of them was that they had, uh, was a firearm and it had bullets in it. It's, it's um, sort of it, it, it'd be equivalent, I suppose, to um, if a Ford has a car accident, well, must be all Fords must be banned because they're yeah. dangerous and somebody got hurt. I mean, mm. not not as an ad for Ford, but I mean, blaming a particular type of gun would be similar and akin to that, I suspect. Oh yeah, or, or you know, blaming a, a a Ford with with an automatic gearbox instead of a manual gearbox, even though both kinds were used to run down people on on the footpath or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. Yeah, that's sort of that sort of logic. Uh, then there's a chapter on the Howard gun laws. Again, more background to them, um, what they mean in practice, the detail, the National Firearms Agreement, and then there's a section on the history of guns in Australia. I then have a uh, quite a, se a, a lengthy section on Guns 101. What I find all the time is that people actually don't know much about guns unless they're a shooter, and even even a lot of shooters don't know much about guns, it must be said. Um, so what's an air-powered gun? What's a rimfire? What's a centerfire? What's a shotgun? Um, there's a little bit on suppressors or silencers, as the many like to call them. There's a, a discussion with pictures. Uh, quite a few pictures showing automatic firearms, semi-automatic firearms, bolt actions, lever action, pump action, brake action, falling block. Um, there's a discussion about the um, uh, those Australian firearm categories in the National Firearms Agreement, Category A, and uh, which we all know is the is the shotguns, most shotguns at least, uh, but not not lever action shotguns for stupid reasons. Um, and uh, rimfire, rimfire rifles, then Category B, 
and category C and D, which most of us can't get, and category H, which is pistols and those prohibited ones. And then there's discussion about how to legally own a gun in Australia. Uh, very few people, unless they've tried to get a gun, actually know how to get one. And there's all sorts of stupid statements made, particularly by uh, Gun Control Australia. Sam Lee's very good at uh, trotting out lies about this. You can just walk in and buy a gun, which of course we all know is not true. And the rules are very strict. So, so there's a description of if you, if you want to own a gun, this is how you have to go about it. This is the sort of things you have to do in order to keep, get a license, keep your license and all that sort of thing. I then spent some time on whether the gun laws worked. We have to define what worked mean. Did it reduce mass shootings? The answer is no. Did it reduce overall firearm deaths? Did it? No. Did it result in fewer guns in the community? No, it didn't. Um, so I go through the statistics on all of those, and there's quite good statistics on all of that. There's been yeah, very yeah. good, been some very good academic studies of those. Not many, it must be said, not many studies, but a few. And and the you know the evidence is overwhelming. It made no difference. The rate of firearm deaths was falling prior to the 1997 gun laws being introduced. The rate of firearm deaths, in fact, the rate of murders in general, um, continued to decline at precisely the same rate as it did uh, before the, the gun laws were introduced. It it's it's arguable, arguable we've become a less, less violent society in many ways than 20, yeah. 30, 40 years ago, and the, the record-keeping would be very different as well. So yeah. there'd be a lot of variables there that would be hard to hard to navigate. I imagine. Well, well, yeah, and I mean, my proposition in the book is that uh, firearm ownership and firearm crime, uh, violent use of, of firearms, are independent variables. They move independently of each other. So people do not commit a crime just because they've got a gun. Um, they are they move independently, and you can have a lot of guns and low crime. You can have very few guns and a lot of crime. They are independent variables. And the numbers support that. The numbers show that, that they made no difference. They, that it, it's not that I don't support the, the, the argument that some people uh, come, uh, have when there's more guns, less crime. In the context of America, under very specific criteria, concealed carry can have an effect uh, to that, uh, like that. But in general, the statement, if you don't qualify it very heavily, the statement that with more guns there's less crime is not true. Equally, when you get more guns there's not more crime, they are independent variables. They move independently of each other, and uh, one does not influence the other. So so I've spent quite a bit of time in the book going through the data on that to, to look at whether or not the gun laws had what effect they had, and the answer is none. Yeah, right. So then, um, I needed, in the book, I needed to deal with this idea that Australia has somehow solved the gun, the gun problem. So we looked at gun control. I look at gun control in other countries. There's chapters, quite lengthy chapters, written by people who live in those countries about their gun laws. So I've got a chapter on New Zealand, um, which until the uh, Christchurch massacre had relatively relatively relaxed gun laws. Even now, 
New Zealand's gun laws are more relaxed, even after these latest uh, gun control changes. Uh, New Zealand's gun laws are not as stringent as Australia's. Uh, there's a chapter on Switzerland by an Australian who's a friend of mine, lives in Switzerland, uh, is a very, very keen shooter. In fact, when I visited him in Switzerland several years ago, he took me shooting and, uh, uh, you know, they have all sorts of guns that we're not allowed to have and they're very relaxed about gun, guns in Switzerland. It's, um, it's a very civilized country. There's uh, a big chapter on the United Kingdom, which of course has very strict gun gun control, um, including no pistols, essentially. Uh, though, although their rifle, their laws about rifles, they have no problem with all all the calibers. They have no problems with um, with uh, magazine capacity, any of that sort of stuff. No laws like that. So even then, some of the things that the UK's got. Are, uh, are less stringent than what we've got. There is a chapter on Ireland written by a guy who lives in Ireland uh, who's had amazing uh, record of challenging the gun laws over there. There is a, a chapter on India um, and their gun laws. And, of course, there's an issue there about enforcement as well as what the laws are. The Czech Republic. The Czech Republic is fascinating. They have gun laws not unlike some of the states of America, they have concealed carry and they have a presumption in favour of concealed carry if you want one. So you can lose the right to concealed carry in the Czech Republic, but unless you've lost it because you're a violent person, you've committed a crime or something like that, um, you have an entitlement to a permit to concealed carry. And there are quite a lot of people who, who do have permits for concealed yeah, right. carry. And they, they like it that way. And of course, the Czech Republic is no more violent than Australia. In fact, on some, some parameters, it's less violent. Um, and same with Switzerland, of course, although they don't carry guns for self-defense in Switzerland very much. You can get them for self-defense, but you need, you need to justify it. There needs to be a reason. And it's a very safe country. So most people don't yeah. bother. Czech Republic, um, you don't need a reason. You can get one. Um, and a lot of people do, but it is a very safe country. And so, again, it reinforces this idea that the number of guns that people have, the availability of guns, is completely independent of levels of violence, levels of crime, shootings and things like that. And finally, there's a little section on Malaysia. The only reason Malaysia is included is because Malaysia has um, both capital and corporate, uh, corporal punishment for certain firearms offences. If you use a gun oh, in the commission okay. of a crime, um, <coughs> you can be flogged. That's what they have flogging <laughs> pain. And, you, and it, if it's bad enough, you can be hanged. And yet, yeah, well. Malaysia still has gun crime. They still have illegal guns. You can still buy illegal guns and are still used in, um, um, in um, criminal activities. And then finally, <coughs> on the foreign countries, I've devoted a, a quite a big chapter to gun control in America. Now, a lot of people say, oh, American gun laws, this American gun laws or that. The fact is there's no such thing as an American gun law. They are state-based primarily. There, right, is, federal, okay. there is federal law, uh, but that is just across the service and it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really uh, make a lot of difference Overall, apart from the fact that full automatics are prohibited and, and 
big things like cannons and bazookas and stuff like that. I'm not allowed to carry a bazooka. That's outrageous. Yeah. Well, you can, but you have to get a permit for a federal <laughs> firearms license. Yeah, you need a federal firearms license. Um, there is, of course, the Second Amendment, which uh, which is the core of their right to own guns in America. So I discuss that, and then I look at the state law. State law in America is hugely variable. You can go from some states, and a good example might be Vermont, where they have never required you to have a license of any description, any kind, for a pistol, rifle, or a shotgun of any description other than what's permitted by federal law. So you can own okay. a pistol, many pistols as you like in Vermont, no license. Rifle, right, so same story, no license. So and as you're versed on it, what's the crime rate and the violence rate gun-based in Vermont? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Vermont is safer than Australia, lower crime rate <laughs> than Australia. Yeah, that's the I'd thing. I'd like to say I'm shocked, but I'm really not. Yeah, no, that's right. And then there are other states where they have relatively high um, or relatively strict gun laws. Hawaii, for example, um, is uh, is relatively strict and no safer. Still not a dangerous place. It's no safer. And then they have uh, areas where, yeah, they have areas where uh, uh, gun crime is quite high. Um, Chicago is a good example, and yet they have quite strict gun laws there. Washington D.C., <coughs> um, uh, Baltimore. Oh, there's quite a number of places, and <coughs> there really is no linkage, no no connection whatsoever to to this to the gun laws. They really have really are irrelevant to it all. I suspect the old adage that, that criminals don't actually care if they're banned, they're going to use them anyway. The, the criminals aren't overly concerned about what the law says, they're a bit more concerned about what they're doing. That's true. And if you if you actually look at gun violence in America, that it's three quarters of it is suicide. Now, that is a gun-related factor. Um, the, the reality is, if there were fewer guns, fewer people would kill themselves using a gun. That doesn't mean fewer people would kill themselves. They would just use other methods. And we, we know that from Australia. Not that many yeah. people shoot themselves in Australia, and yet our suicide rate is <coughs> pretty close to the same as America. And, but yeah, yeah. men who are more likely to own guns are also far, far more likely to kill themselves than women. They do it with guns in America. They do it with yeah. guns here too in Australia, but not as often. Uh, guns aren't so, so widely available. But when you look at um, crime rates in America, um, there's, there's pockets of it. There's cities where the crime is bad. Um, and in fact, I looked at the data and you know, it, it sounds trivial to say this, but you can almost define uh, the races in terms of their use of guns. White people, particularly white men, kill themselves. Black people, particularly black men, kill each other. Asian people don't kill anyone. And that that's the data. That's what the data shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not based on feelings, it's based no, on actually how it's not nothing to do with the guns. I mean how can it how can it be all about the guns when there's a very, very strong racial element to it? 
Um, so, you know, it's not the guns at all. Um, there is a discussion about uh, mass shootings as well. Uh, in, I mean, they're the ones that horrify everybody in the TV, but in the scheme of things, they're statistically very, really very tiny. And there's a discussion about the National Rifle Association, which <coughs> does some wonderful work. Um, keeps, keeps a lot of shooters from um, um, breaking the law inadvertently, training, um, providing a place to shoot, um, and of course, advocacy for on behalf of um, uh, on behalf of uh, the Second Amendment and gun ownership. I mean, I mean, globally, obviously, a massive, massive issue, and all the, all the latest, latest um, things going on with the, this virus and things has a lot of people sort of stammering and chomping at the bit to go and buy more guns and ammunition. Do you think there's a link there? I mean, I, I see what I see, but we're after your opinion today. Yeah, well, I mean, you see, you see. Uh, uh, the violence just over such a thing as uh, toilet paper hoarding. Um, <laughs> and you think, okay, civil society is breaking down. You know, it's every man for himself. Um, I need to protect my family um, because no one else is going to do it. It's a natural, it's a fairly natural fear. And, you know, we laugh at, we scoff at that sort of thing, except that you know, there's plenty, absolutely plenty of uh, historical precedent for that, uh, that yeah. being the case. And, uh, um, and I don't blame people for, for being concerned about their safety and the fact that uh, you can't you can't rely on the police and, and the government to save you. And in some cases, and that's certainly the case in Australia and um, and the UK, um, the government and the police are the problem. And so, you know, there's also um, people like me, I'm a, I'm a libertarian, and we still say, at what stage are we going to push back against the authority of the state and say, that's enough. I don't want you yeah. to do that anymore. If I want to sit in a park and read a book, I do not want some thug in a uniform to come along and say, you're breaking the law. Um, I want that thug to go away and do something useful to take my life. <laughs> and my preferably, life. preferably not paid for by your tax dollars. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, carrying on with the book, um, I have then devoted a chapter to the moral and philosophical arguments for gun ownership. Now, this is, um, I think this is important because people need to understand that this is not just all about um, I I like guns, therefore I should be allowed to do it. There are some philosophical reasons why uh, the right to own firearms should not be interfered with. Um, so arming the workers, if you're a socialist, um, there's always been an, an argument by socialists that guns are required to uh, defend themselves, for workers to defend themselves against the bosses, against the proletariat, against the bourgeois state. And there's a um, I've basically uh, copied some stuff written by communists, communists or socialists, I'm not sure what they are. Um, <laughs> I don't think they're uh, sure anymore, are they? And in which they argue that uh, yeah. modern-day socialists are letting the side down, basically, by advocating disarmament of the workers. How are the workers ever going to stand up for themselves if they're unable to resist the um, arm of the state? There's a, another section on the harm principle. This is something that appeals to libertarians. That's <coughs> John Stuart Mill's, John Stuart Mill's um, harm principle uh, from On Liberty, which is 
the only reason for a government to um, intrude is to prevent harm to others. So there's a discussion about whether or not uh, he would have supported. He never said anything about gun control, um, Bill. But um, the question is whether he would have been in favour of uh, gun control or not. And the, the conclusion is that no, he probably wouldn't have been in favour because no one was getting hurt. Yeah. There is also a discussion about the argument, are you a citizen or are you a subject of the state? Yeah, yeah, you know, the old um, aphorism, um, uh, when the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When, when the government fears the, pe fears the people, there is liberty. Um, so this, this is a profound philosophical discussion. Is any law... Um, uh, you know, that's constitutional, so to speak, um, legitimate. Is any encroachment on power legitimate? Now, um, I used to uh, quote the dis difference between Thomas Hobbes and John Locke when I was in the Senate on this issue. So Thomas Hobbes said, without the government, without the sovereigns, um, life is nasty, brutish and short. And the only way to maintain civilization is to give up all your rights to the sovereign or the government, as we now, we would now say. And then the sovereign gives you back whatever rights that he thinks is, um, is appropriate and you should be grateful for it. So every right you have is a, is a gift of the, of the government, so to speak. That's the, so whatever the government decides to do is legitimate. So there's a lot of people who subscribe to that view. And uh, they will argue, well, if the government says that's the law, then that's the law and that's the end of it. And you will hear that argument all the time. The other argument, and the one I prefer, is one founded by John Locke, who was very influential in the American Declaration of Independence and then the, then the Constitution. All men are created equal and we have inherent rights. We're, we're born, uh, bestowed by our creators with the right to life, liberty and happiness is, is what it says in the Declaration of Independence. And <clears throat> so what, what they're basically saying is we don't get our rights from the government, we're born with them. They might come from God if you believe in God, or that you might just believe that they are inherent. What you do certainly don't believe is that they are a gift of the government. But that's a very important thing because when you apply that to gun control, the question then is, does the government have a right to control guns, your ownership of guns, just because it can? Or does it need to justify controlling guns? And does it need to have a, a sound reason, you know, some public purpose for controlling guns? And if that's the case, if the latter reason applies, then you can say, well, there's no sense in controlling guns for people like me who don't do any harm with them. Um, but there are maybe sense in controlling the guns of people who are violent, who engage in violent activities and misuse them. And I think that's a, that's plausible, logical, and, and the right conclusion. I discuss in the book, uh, the fact that there is an argument that gun control has always preceded genocide and oppression in history. In the 20th century, there were hundreds of millions of people killed. Um, after they had been disarmed. And, and you don't even have to just look at Hitler and Stalin. You can look at Pol Pot and, and Rwanda and all sorts of places like that where genocides no, 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 occurred. Yeah. 
and the people, the people were removed, the guns were removed from people. There is a discussion about gun control being racist, and in America that's absolutely the case. Uh, gun control was introduced in order to keep the hands out of black people, keep them out of the hands of black people. And there are some articles in the book by, um, by black people who are strongly opposed to gun control for that reason. Then there's the ones, the reasons we are slightly more familiar with, which is animal welfare and conservation. We are a civilized society. We look after our animals, including our, our native animals running free. Our farm animals, they have to be disposed of from time to time. The quickest, <coughs> most humane way of preventing suffering is um, often shooting. And so guns have to be available for that. And then there is a section uh, where I discuss self-defense. And I've actually looked at um, the philosophical basis for self-defense. There is an argument that that uh, it is an inherent right, uh, self-defense, and if you don't have a practical means of exercising that right, then you don't really have that right at all. I've also looked at self-defense around the world. I've looked at um, nearly all the countries of the world and whether or not having guns for self-defense is uh, uh, permitted per se, it's allowed if, if you have uh, justification, or it's not allowed at all, such which is the case in Australia. What he discovered is that there are still a number of countries where it's assumed that if you want to have a gun for self-defense, you can have one. That's not infringed at all. There's a vast number of countries where if you <coughs> if you believe you have a cause, there's somebody threatening you, you can get a, a gun for self-defense, and it's, it's, you know, that's not doubted. And that's the vast majority of guns. And then there's a relatively small number of countries, um, including Australia, where you can't have a gun for self-defense at all. And the funny thing is, those countries in which that in the group in which Australia is located, they are overwhelmingly authoritarian countries. Okay, they're not free liberal democracies. Okay, and then there's a chapter on gun myths. So I've addressed um, half a dozen or so, I don't know, a bit more than half a dozen myths. So I address the myths, the myth that guns are only designed to designed to kill. That's not true. Uh, the myth that semi-automatic guns are new technology. Depends what you mean by new, I suppose, but they're definitely not new. Uh, the myth that the AR-15 is a military assault rifle. Anyone who knows anything about the military and rifles would laugh at that one, but there's not many people that actually <laughs> do know that. Um, yeah, right the, uh, the myth that gun ownership is a privilege, not a right. So that's the same argument as the Hobbes versus yeah. Locke point. Um, the myth that more guns equals more crime. All the, none of the data supports that. Um, the myth that legal guns supply illegal users. It's largely not true. There are Illegal markets and illegal markets, and they don't overlap very much. Um, there's a discussion about appearance of guns. Um, that's mainly a, an Australian issue, where they're running around arresting people for having little plastic guns. Um, crazy nonsense. And then there's the the uh, discussion about this claim by some people that you can just ban guns, and that would solve the problem. 
I've heard that from <laughs> otherwise sensible people. Why don't we just ban them? Um, yeah. you know, totally, totally irrational when you consider what that would mean. And then finally, um, I've had a look at what are touted as being sensible gun laws and whether or not they're sensible. So <clears throat> that's a look through licenses, restrictions on the types of firearms you can have, and this is what we have in Australia, so semi-automatics, pump actions, lever actions, that sort of stuff. Gun registration, whether that helps. Prevention of theft of guns, gun amnesties, gun buybacks, waiting periods. Um, a good guy with a gun, you know, whether uh, concealed yeah, carry. Yeah, that's a with a gun. Yeah, that's right. And background checks. Now, background checks are probably the only one that's genuinely sensible out of all of those. Um, you know, yeah. if you've got a background of violence, threatening violence, engaging in violence, quite possibly even a background involving fraud. Um, that yeah, yeah, okay. May, may, you know, that that's a more arguable point. But, but certainly, if you have a background of violence then there is a very strong argument for not allowing you access to firearms, and that makes sense to me. And America, to a degree, does that. They have the National Instant Check System, and that largely keeps guns out of the hands of the nutters in the legal market. Of course, there is the illegal market. Switzerland also is quite big on background checks. They still have a license system, but each time you buy a gun, uh, you have to get a police clearance every single time. And um, uh, so, you know, you might have your license and you might have been a, a law-abiding person for, you know, some years and then something snaps and you turn into a nutter and the police find out about you. Well, um, in Australia, that might not prevent you from, from getting a gun, even under our very draconian systems, but in Switzerland it would. Okay. And uh, I, th I think that that's a relatively sensible approach. So that's the book. Um it's uh, it's due to be published, well, it's ready to be published now, but my publisher is somewhat hamstrung by all these um, uh, limitations, all virus limitations, yep. and says he's got a couple more books that he has to produce before mine anyway. So um, so I don't I don't have a timetable, but it will be this year. I'm hoping okay. I'll be and, and is there going to be many platforms that's going to be available for purchase? Because obviously yes. I'm sure there's so, a big, big portion of what we're we're we talking about are going to be interested and excited. So, yes. So I'm I'm hoping that um, I can get it on to some shooting organisations, uh, uh, online sales platforms. It will be available online to be up to buy. Um, I'm not sure whether I'll put it on Amazon immediately. You don't make much money out of Amazon, but uh, okay. uh, we'll see how we go. Uh, there's not the much coming. David, DavidLionhelm.com, you know, T-shirts, hats and books, yeah. all, all in the works or anything? Yeah, I'm not sure that I want to go that far, but I'm, <laughs> I, would be, I would be much more interested in, say, the Shooters Union and WSAA um, yeah. putting it on their website and selling it uh, and making some money out of it. I mean, I'll make money out of it. And, and, I mean, I don't need money. They need money. And if yeah. they can make money out of my book, then uh, that would be, in my opinion, a better outcome. So that, that's the story. Um, this, I'm, when I did my first book, uh, Freedom Salesman, it was really just a, a, a collection of my speeches and articles. Um, I mean, there are issues that were important to me, but I, I have to say this one, 
this is about my passion. I'm a, I'm a shooter. I'm a rifle shooter, primarily. And I also absolutely believe that the right to own a gun is fundamental to a free person. And so this is this comes really very 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 close to the bone from my point of view. Well, look, I'm really I'm really excited. One to have you on. I think it's great for this fledgling little program. So somebody of your caliber and and expertise is is pretty pretty cool. Uh, obviously, we've been on the same political team for a little while as far as a lot of things go, which I, I really appreciate your efforts in that arena, and I know a lot of other people do. Uh, what, what we'll do is, um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm thanking David Lionhelm on everyone's behalf for participating. I'm hoping you'd be willing to come on a little bit frequently over the next at least 10 weeks while we do this project and, and discuss other, other things going on. That'd be great if you'd be willing to do that. I'm sure, sure the audience will love it. And I look forward to talking to you more, more often. All right. Thank you, Dean. Yes. Yes. We can talk again. I'll just let that.